My name is Rajesh Gurde and I live in Seattle and um, I work in a big tech company as a data scientist. Hi, my name is Rituja and this is Roti, Kapra or Makan where we talk about the basics of life, food, clothes and the idea of home. Rajesh came to the United States in 1998 to study at the Michigan State University. He had just graduated with a degree in computer science from the Indian Institute of Technology, IIT as it's fondly known. Like a majority of his classmates, Rajesh too wanted to come to the United States to study and maybe work. The first day we land in America is an unforgettable day. Good or bad, we always remember what happened. Rajesh had never traveled abroad before. This was his first time out of India. Although he had never been to the United States, he felt he knew what to expect. All the movies, anecdotes from friends, and stories from his brother had prepared him well, or so he thought. Rajesh recalls his first interaction stepping off the plane. Um the first day, I, re- I think I remember the day, it was August 3rd, 1998. um i think my brother had drilled into me like uh in in us like people like to look into people's eyes when they're talking otherwise it's considered like you know it's not considered good if you're not looking into people's eyes so i think i was really overdoing it which is freaking people out uh especially the immigration lady she was like is this guy like insane what's going on with him uh so yeah He made it through customs and immigrations and then started to make his way towards the exit. And the first thing I think it's pretty common with everyone is I started running into people because on in India we walk on the left side over here we walk on the right. Oh like you literally walked yeah, into yeah, people. Yeah, I was liter- literally running into the people at airport and I I mean I knew like that we are supposed to, you know, it's it's the right side in the US but with with so many things going on with you know worried about the immigration will they let me in you know the, all the visa craziness like it's everything is so new that i completely forgot about it and um so mentally i kept repeating like right is right um anytime i was confused like i would say right is right which meant like you know if you're on the right you're on the right side um and that kind of took care of that and uh, every i think like the couple things that stood out was everything like how expensive food was like i got a coffee as soon as i landed and you know as every indian like i was doing the mental calculations of dollar to rupees and it was like 160 rupees for the coffee which is unthinkable um so I regretted immediately getting a coffee did you have your own money at that time like or did you feel more guilty because you're You probably were spending your parents' money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Money. It was that. I mean, uh, it was my parents' money. I mean, I think even if it was my own money, I would still feel guilty because at that time, you're still doing all the calculations mentally uh, of how much everything costs in rupees. Some people still do after 10 years. 
but yeah that that kind of the four dollar coffee was very freaky remember rajesh had landed in lansing for graduate school this was august student season at the airport i mean i knew that there was somebody supposed to was supposed to come and pick me up and uh, it was supposed to be some lady who volunteers with uh, the international students organization there and it was going to be me and another sri lankan guy uh, who was going to get picked up and the moment i met her she immediately put me at uh, you know made me comfortable like she, i think she was such a pro at handling this like she i mean i knew she was struggling with my accent because i had a very very heavy accent uh, the sri lankan guy had even heavier accent than me the sri lankan guy was interesting guy. like he was dressed up like you know the jacket and where he was wearing a tie for the entire long flight um so i mean he he was decked out um so yeah the two of us like she immediately made it comfortable and she knew exactly what needs to needed to be done and i was pretty good with jet lag the shock of leaving home and arriving to a new country rajesh did not have the luxury of enjoying the airport or the city he was coming to it all seemed surreal it was only the day after he arrived in the us and when he sat at the back of the bus that he realized he had finally come to america the moment is very clear in my head i had taken a bus uh that was supposed to take us from the host- the, the dorm that we were in uh into the uh the engineering building for the whatever the orientation thing we were in the bus and i was looking forward and there were a bunch of like uh people and there were like girl was blonde and there was another brunette and that was such an unusual sight you never see in india a bus filled with blondes and brunettes and that's when i was looking into people's head from the back the row of seats i was like mm, i'm really here this is not india anymore uh, so it was only the next day looking at people sitting in a bus that made me realize that yeah i'm i'm out Once Rajesh graduated, he moved to Seattle to work for a big tech company. After starting to draw a steady paycheck, Rajesh finally rented a nice apartment. The student accommodation soon became a grimy memory. For the first time in his life, he felt as if he was in control of his home. Well, um ideal home uh gives me like the sense of comfort that I can like any time so i'm i'm basically an introverted person so every time i go out it's driven by anxiety and every time i come back home uh it, there's a sense of relief and uh, so it's very important for me to get that sense of relief every time i come back in and now you know now that i'm 40 i've lived in many different apartments and all these apartments have given me different levels of relief um So yeah, getting that sense of relief is is uh, pretty important for me. Growing up, Rajesh's family moved quite a bit. His dad worked as a civil engineer in a steel plant 
and his assignments took the family all over India. Given this, their family stayed in a new house or an apartment every few years. I asked Rajesh if any one particular house stood out for him, if there was a house that he was attached to or thought of it as his home. Um, let's see. I think my current place is probably my favorite place. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's almost like my life is kind of separated out into these two parts where when I was with my parents and when I was on my own. Um, and I don't, I don't quite think of when I was with my parents. I don't know if I can call it home. I mean, technically I lived with them, but... I didn't have any control over what goes in and what goes out. Uh, but when I'm on my own, I think I have a lot more control. And that for me, uh, because I'm very, very particular about what kind of furniture I want and what, what, what kind of look I need to have in my apartment. Um, and not being, not having that, and this is also something that I realized later on. I mean, I, I, I always thought I was more of a go with the flow kind of guy. Uh, but no, I've, older I get, the more I realize I'm extremely particular about, uh, the style and look that I like. Uh, so now that I've established like that is my personality, I kind of begin to question that was I ever happy when I was, you know, when I didn't have any control um, or when my choices or when my kind of like uh, taste wasn't quite established, like when in my 20s. Uh, in my 30s, my taste was much more established and, you know, and I think that made me a lot more happier knowing what I like. Uh, and having some control over being able to bring things that I like into my apartment. Um, and that kind of like goes to the sense of ownership and that sense of relief when you come back, you're happy. Like uh, that is a critical thing for me. Like every time I come back to my home, I should feel a sense of happiness. And uh, I think that only happens when I have stuff that, uh, that I can relate to. And I don't know if necessarily back home that was true. Yeah. Home house, identity, control, all seems to be linked quite tightly. I interviewed Rajesh in his apartment in Seattle. His apartment is clutterless. The furniture is modern. Huge black and white nature and outdoor prints decorate the wall. I see a statue of Buddha, but nothing Indian stands out. So I asked Rajesh, who or what influenced his decoration style? I think like this this is very interesting because um I'm surprised like how much my taste has changed over um like almost every decade of my life. Uh, I don't think I had any taste till 20. Uh 20 to 30 I was more around whatever is hip or cool I would just go with that. Um and the biggest influencing factors were people that I've been with. And that was my first girlfriend and the second girlfriend like they were the I mean, I spent a fair bit of time with them and that's like being with them kind of made me think about furniture and look of the house and, you know, what you should feel about when you're inside the house. Because otherwise it was just like, it's a place you come back to after you're done with things. Um, so they kind of influenced what I think about when I think about a good place to live. Especially uh, my second second girlfriend Deb, like she was, she was very specific about her taste and uh, 
I never thought about like furniture and, and like how important furniture and the look of the houses. I think being with her kind of changed. In India, we have a concept of Vastu Shastra. Vastu meaning home and Shastra meaning rules. It's the Indian version of Feng Shui. So do you believe in Feng Shui? I don't actually. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm a data scientist. So I'm very driven by data and science. Uh, so I know there are a lot of these, uh, um, there are a lot of these philosophies, Feng Shui, and in India we have Vastu Shastra. Um, and surprisingly, Deb is very into, like the person I said influenced my taste. She is much into, very much into Feng Shui and all, um, and the, these kind of things. But my the scientific part of my brain completely overrides uh, any of these, like unless there's a controlled experiment done that proves it, uh, I'm not going to believe it. So, yeah, not really. From Feng Shui and Vastu Shastra, we moved on to talking about food. Food is so integral to our identity and culture. When you come from a different country, you surely miss the food that you grew up with. The taste, the smell, the flavors, they just aren't the same. What is like this one memory of food that you've never forgotten or a taste or a place that comes with it? Yeah, that's a very easy question for me to answer because there is a specific restaurant that I went to in Philadelphia. Um, so my friend Deb, uh, she was supposed to run this marathon, but she got injured right before the marathon. So basically, but we had already booked the tickets for the Philly, Philly marathon. So we were there and she was not going to run and uh, we had like two days to ourselves. So we chose this uh, place called Amada. Uh, in Philadelphia uh, it's like a tapas bar um, so we went there and we were you know I mean it had good rating on Yelp and we weren't really but we have been to other good places so we we were out for a good evening uh, we also were slightly drunk um, so that probably added to things but every single so with tapas you get like little dishes every few you know every 10 minutes 15 minutes and with every dish, like we are getting happy, I mean, we could feel our happiness level increases in, you know, happiness level increasing by every single, after every single dish. By the time we hit like third dish, we we're just laughing while we we're eating. We we're so happy. And that can, I mean, we, every time we go to a new restaurant now, we kind of like talk about the Amada experience. Like it's so like cleanly cut out in our head like it was it made us so happy that we we're i mean i don't think i've ever laughed while eating food like mm. out of happiness uh like it we were just giddy with delight so it was one of those things um it's yeah it's become one of those cornerstones in our friendship like that we refer to pretty often almost every time we go out like remember that amara experience <laughs> like yeah and yeah and in fact it's so good that we never want to go back again. It's one of those things that we don't want to tarnish that memory that it's so perfect that yeah. we, we never want to revisit it. I could feel becoming happy just listening to Rajesh talk about his memorable experience. 
Notably, he was unable to recall even a single dish he ate that night. I knew he liked to eat, so I asked if he liked to cook. I actually like cooking, uh, which surprises a lot of people because um, I have never entertained. Um, but at home, I do like to try things out, and uh, and I've kind of like settled for a few staple dishes that I that I make all the time. But um, I mean, I'm kind of like semi-vegetarian, so the ch- the options kind of get limited. Um, but still, I um, yeah, I mean, whenever I'm cooking, I, I enjoy. I never look. I mean, I cook like a couple times a week, um, but I never look. You know, I'd never see it as a daunting task. Like it's, it's something I look forward to. Recently, Rajesh visited his parents in India, and he enjoyed home cooked meal each day. Coming back home to the United States, he tried to bring a bit of the taste back with him. I mean, this time when I be- went back to India, I got. I never tried this before, but I told my mom like I want the same spices that you use for cooking, and I got like three or four bags of spice. Uh, which, you know, like in India, my mom actually grinds the whole thing and, and gets the whole thing done from scratch. And I use those spices and I think that my taste level went from, like, from the food I cook went from like 2 to probably 7 out of 10. So it probably is the spices, but it's also, I don't know, it's maybe just the atmosphere or whatever it is. The, so that is probably the biggest thing, like just, just the roti thing mm. that's made from scratch. Uh, that is something, yeah, that that stands out for me. Like every time I go go back, I'm never looking forward to going out and eating in restaurants. It's just I'm I'm happy eating eating at home. My own memories of food take me back to my school days when my mom used to pack me a tiffin or a dabba, meaning lunchbox. Each school kid brought dabba from home or it was dropped off to school during the lunch hour. So when you were in school, I'm sure you took your dabba to school every day, right? When you I actually, so that's the, that was, this was a major point of contention. Uh-huh. I took the dabba to school, but I never ate it. Uh, so... Because, again, I, I guess I was a little, little picky eater and I liked food to be hot. Uh, and the Daba food was never hot, so I would just bring it back. And I think after a while, my mom just stopped packing food for me. So that's okay. the end of that. Ah, so did that go on to like 10th grade or? Yeah. Oh, wow. So you never took lunch to school anymore mm-hmm. after that? Do you remember what grade it stopped? Like the lunches? Probably 6th, 7th grade it stopped. Interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I wanted hot or nothing. Oh. Still reeling from the fact that Rajesh went without lunch throughout middle and junior high school, I asked him if he missed any fruits from India. Growing up, we ate a lot of seasonal fruits. Indian nashpati is something that I miss a lot. Uh, I mean, so nashpati is like pear. It used to be my favorite fruit in India um, and also yeah lychee lychee I guess uh, 
Lychee I miss because uh, growing up in Bihar, like Muzaffarpur, lychees were very famous and we would usually get a giant bag every summer. Uh, but uh, so over here we don't get any lychees and they do. Where? In any East Asian market. Oh, I've never tried. And also my memories are a little tarnished uh, because I, I think once I was eating lychee in India, um, there was a worry. The worm, yeah. Yeah, and after that, I'm like very worried about <laughs> like ever eating lychee that I I don't know where it's coming from, and so I'm sure they're they're fine. Uh, it's protein, more protein with your lychee. True. <laughs> uh, they they're also like the the worms inside the lychee are uh, white in color, so it's impossible to tell or very hard to tell. Um, anyway, so lychee is. Uh, Probably my second favorite. My favorite one mm -hmm. is Nashpati or pears. And so when I came to US, I was so excited to see so many pears. But once I tasted them, they tasted nothing like what what was the what the pears were there in India. So the closest I've found are the Asian pears uh, that you find in uh, you know any of the shops. But they're extremely expensive uh, compared to what you would. So like even compared to normal pears, like so. Yeah, that's been a tough loss. I asked Rajesh to go check out Pike Place Market, where I'm sure he can find the pear that he misses so much. Sorry. So here's the thing. Um, I never had a pear in India. Oh. No. So I never had a lychee in India. Hmm. Uh, because, you know, I grew up near Nagpur and Pune, and hmm. we don't get them there. So um, I grew up on our oranges, mm -hmm. the Nagpur oranges, yeah, the famous yeah, yeah, ones. Yeah. And, you know, we used to, like, devour them like crazy. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, mangoes. For me, mem memories of mango are from Pune, not mm. from Nagpur. Mm. Because every summer I used to go visit my grandparents in Pune. And my grandfather had this one crate of very special Alfonso hapus mangoes. Mm -hmm. And hapus mango was called like the king of mangoes. Like that had to be the best mango. And um, he would keep it away in his godrej cupboard under oh, a lock. Wow. And that that mango would be given only on special days. Oh. Or if, even if it had to be for the whole family, you know, we would make the rest, the juice, uh, mm. And that would be just done for special occasions. And I think, yeah, that, that taste I have very rarely, I think, maybe just once got it here. But I think it's more of, you know, the whole atmosphere. It has to be hot. It has to feel yeah. a certain way. Yeah. Talking about food took both of us back to our childhood days in India. We chatted a bit more about his taste in clothes. Rajesh likes to dress up in a suit whenever he can finds Indian clothes a good prop for certain events, confesses his love for leather jackets, and has a weakness for red wing shoes. Rajesh has since moved to the east side and is settling into his new apartment. He sold all his old furniture and got rid of the many items that decorated his previous apartment. He is now combing through Craigslist for new themes and ideas. Happy hunting, Rajesh. Rajesh Korde, my brother-in-law, data scientist, blogger, and photographer.
As part of Roti Kapda or Makan, we plan to bring to you regular book reviews. It's fall, and students are settling into schools and colleges. Many college students have come from abroad to study in an American university. Our book reviewer Nalini Iyer brings to us Love, Stars, and All That by Kiran Narayan, which captures the essence of being an immigrant student. and all the experiences that come with it a young indian girl geeta comes to graduate school in uc berkeley in the 1980s her family life in india is complex her mother had been widowed when geeta was an infant and her stepfather did not really want the child around so geeta had been raised by an ayah who told her amazing folk stories and then shipped off to boarding school when she was older During her school holidays, she lived with Saroj auntie and Harish uncle, her surrogate parents who adored her. An astrologer friend had predicted to Saroj auntie that Geeta would find her soulmate in March 1984, and the lonely graduate student, brilliant but sexually naive, gets caught up in a romance with a professor because she believes it is meant to be. This is the starting point of a funny, insightful novel. A buildings roman in some ways by Kiran Narayan called Love Stars and All That published in 1994. Kiran Narayan by the way is a professor at the University of Wisconsin Madison. Although this novel did get good reviews when it first came out, it has since disappeared into relative obscurity. Narayan's name is not one that immediately comes up in conversations where book lovers say to one another, "Have you ever read Too bad because people should read this novel for its candor, for its gentle satire of modern India as well as of American academia, and for its sympathetic understanding of the repressed sexuality of Indian graduate students in the United States. And this is perhaps why this novel really, really appeals to me, because I was a graduate student in a midwestern school in the 1980s, and this novel is so realistic about that life. Anyway, back to Geeta. She lives with Bet, an aspiring actress in an apartment near campus, and her only friend from India is Firoz Ganji Frockwala, a Parsi from Bombay, who's a cousin of a school friend. Firoz is awkward and pedantic and has a crush on Geeta, but she is clueless. When Sarojanti corrals a famous American poet at Heathrow Airport and persuades him to bring a present to Geeta, she takes this to be a sign from the cosmos. She develops a crush on Timothy Stillings the poet only to be gently rebuffed. Timothy's friend Professor Norwin Weinstein an endowed chair in the English department whose wife has abandoned him for a woman finds all his orientalist fantasies stimulated by a young and beautiful graduate student. Predictably they marry. Geeta finishes her doctoral work. The marriage falls apart. And then Geeta moves to a small liberal arts college in New England, as removed from Berkeley as it can be. The rest of the novel focuses on Geeta's growth as a person, her attempts at finding love and stability through an arranged marriage, an attempt to find Geeta a soulmate that is maneuvered by Saroj and her friend Kalpana. Geeta struggles with her sense of independence, her desire for stability and love through marriage. and her need to find a sexually and romantically compatible mate the novel plot brings about a romantic resolution of near bollywood proportions 
one that Gita mockingly points out herself, but I won't present any spoilers here. What I find charming about this novel is that it resists stereotypes about Indians or Americans and still manages to poke fun at a whole cast of characters. Gita's gullible, yet sweet and empathetic. Najma, her friend, is feisty and genuine. Firoz is awkward yet idealistic, and Ajay is confused and lonely yet kind. Norwin is bumbling, accomplished, and not entirely a cad. Timothy is a talented poet, bordering on pretentious yet kind, and thus the list goes on. And there are brilliantly satirical portraits of academics. Narayan takes pot shots at academic celebrities, and her portrayal of uber feminist. Kamashri Ratnabhushita Lingam Hernandez echoes that of a real-life Indo-American post-colonial theorist. Here is Narayan describing Kamashri as she is come to Berkeley to give a lecture. I read from the novel. The crowd had cleared as Norvin made his way to the podium to stand beside Kamashri. She was a short woman, perhaps even shorter than Gita, but she had a presence that filled the room. She had pronounced jaws and haircut with fashionable asymmetry, so that on one side it was practically shaved around the ear, but on the other it dipped towards her chin. Her eyes were black and intense behind 50s-style narrow curved spectacle frames, sporting a diamond at each end. She was dressed in a batik sari, featuring emerald and purple peacocks against a turquoise blue background. Above this, she had on a Nehru jacket, with epaulets and a variety of buttons that were hard to read from afar. Beneath the sari, she seemed to be wearing high-heeled leather boots. She unsmilingly scanned the faces around the room, as though taking command. Isn't she splendid? Feroz inquired. Readjusting his raw silk Indian tie, Norvin had begun his introduction. Kamashri's post-colonial education background, her sequence of post-modern publications, her unchallenged supremacy in the post-humanist era of post-feminism is deconstructed by diasporic women of color. Kamashri stepped forward, unfolded a small stepladder. She now towered in the room, a veritable warrior queen. Adjusting the mic to her new height, she thanked Norvin, and promptly proceeded to correct his pronunciation of her name, his pronunciation of the school she had gone to in Madras, and the wording in the title of her fourth book. She congratulated the organization Shakti for honoring women's power and moved into an analysis of power juxtaposing Foucault, the Dharma Shastras, and pronouncements by Angela Davis. Narayan's narrative has a certain authenticity in the way she captures the life of an Indian graduate student. The financial challenges, the search for Indian food and groceries, the community and camaraderie amongst them. Here is a scene narrated by Feroz describing a lunch date that he and Gita have, except she doesn't know it's a lunch date and he is too awkward and pedantic to make anything of it. And just in the first paragraph, here's how he describes the restaurant. Here we sit in the latest Indian food disaster on Telegraph Avenue. Bapujino Bistro is the name of this one. I don't give it more than a few months. The food is hopeless, just some generic spices thrown around in oil. There are misshapen batik apsaras on the wall, empty kingfisher and Taj lager beer bottles lined up along the windows, and plastic roses in plastic vases on the table. 
Geeta is on the edge of her chair as though she's expecting a cockroach to creep up from the side and of course coming to this place was my idea. Thus Narayan amuses and entertains. Please read Love, Stars and All That and bring the book back from its obscurity. Roti Kapra Aur Makan is produced by Studio Disha. Sound editing and music by Mansoor Ahmed of Resonate Productions.